0: But in that case, it, put, it allow us to immediately biocontain the next farm to avoid if they would break to continue the cycle of breaking more farms. So a tool like a geofencing software like that, like Farm Guardian, it just make it more real and more accurate. Uh, while schedule, we all know, schedule change all the time, and people don't go and correct them after the fact. So we've been seeing a lot of that where the schedule were not as accurate as they should have been after the fact and the Geofence software just don't lie it's it's actually what's happening in real time
1: a whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket and what's best you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm traveling or running errands it's never been this good and it's never been this simple the swine it podcast show canada is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like, our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Veterinary Services and Demeter Services Veterinarians. Welcome to the Swine it Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Swine Veterinary Partners offers a full range of animal health and production services to Canadian pork producers. We approach health management through personalized solution with concern for profitability while taking into account performance and the well-being of your animals.
2: Welcome to Swine Canada. My name is John Patience and I'm the host for today's broadcast. And with me today, we have Corinne Talbot, who is Director of Animal Health for High Life in uh, now Steinbeck, Manitoba, having moved their offices recently from La Procuree. So welcome, Corinne. How are you today?
0: Very good. Thank you for having
2: me today. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the topic um, uh, because I think it'll be of great interest to our listening audience. But before we get into that, uh, could I ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how uh, Corrine Talbot got from the University of Montreal Veterinary School uh, to be the Director of Animal Health at High Life?
0: Sure. Uh, so I graduated, like you said, from University of Montreal in 2008. So I'm from Quebec originally, so you can hear the French accent. Uh, I was lucky enough to work for a summer for high tech at the time. And at the end of the summer, they offered me a full-time position. So went back, finished my vet school, and then I told them, yes, I'm moving. And here we are, 15 years later, um, still at now high life, uh, and moved from veterinarian to director of animal health and uh, now managing a team of uh, nine people a couple swine vets and some technicians so it's been a very good journey
2: oh wonderful yeah that's uh, that's uh, fascinating uh quite a quite a distance from home and uh and so just for the benefit of our audience as well uh uh, uh is high life are there all their pigs located in manitoba or do you get out do you get into saskatchewan or Alberta at all
0: Correct. So most of our pigs are in Manitoba. Uh, we do have a few farms in uh, Saskatchewan a little bit.
2: And, and by the way, just as a quick aside, I'll mention that quite a number of years ago um, at Iowa Swine Day, there was a speaker from High Life um, who was talking about biosecurity and especially with respect to transporting of feed and the procedures that you folks had in place to try to minimize the transmission of, of disease, of pathogens, Um, through the truck and through the truck driver and the steps that you went through. And it was very, very, you know, there was a lot of people taking an awful lot of notes when uh, your colleague gave that presentation, because it was very different than what I think uh, our people in in Iowa and the Midwest were used to. So, um, so that was uh, uh, one of my introductions to the uh, very serious nature that high, high life takes when it comes to biosecurity. So today we're going to be talking about um, trying to understand who it is, is visiting the farm. We're gonna be talking about something about geofencing software. I'm not, I'm not familiar, so I'm looking forward to that as well. And really taking biosecurity to the next level. So help me to understand first off, what it is we're going to be talking today and then we'll break it down into little bite-sized chunks maybe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the geofencing software. I guess it's uh, it's a new era in the bioscurity world, um, something definitely I'm passionate about. Um, before I had to deal with PD, but like most people, probably most of our audience know, Mentoba, we've been hit hard uh, on a cyclic pattern with PD in the last six years, and the last wave uh, was terrible. And um, so those geofencing software, really what it does, it's, it, it's a virtual fence you have around your farm, and it detects the movement in and off your premise. In simple terms, as simple as I can do it. So imagine a fence around the farm, but it's not a, an actual f- fence, it's a virtual fence. And anytime someone with the app on their phone or the GPS link to it cross on your premise or off, you can see their visit. So that's what a geofencing service would do. Uh, now it is even way more. We'll get into this. Uh, it has lots of benefit, and why we got there uh, at High Life, it was again PD. Our journey with PD and doing disease investigation. Really, that's where it started. We were doing contact tracing. It would take hours, couple of days, lots of people involved, trying to get schedule where people went, where they came from, um, and trying to find a connection between all of that. And when you have an outbreak, trying to stop the next move as fast as you can, and it was not efficient. When you have one outbreak, it's one thing, but when PD comes, it doesn't usually come alone for us. So it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and keep counting, it became overwhelming. And then we had work with a company, it's a Canadian company called farmel Garden. We've been in touch with them for a couple of years before, uh, and then eventually that was the trigger point for us. We did a pilot project in uh, 2021, put 30 farms on it, and started to learn the the software and it was a no-brainer it became reality as we started breaking with PD and we saw the use of that software uh it was a no-brainer for us then we adopted it uh and geofence every facility we have so farm premise but also truck wash feed mill um in any facility that relate to our pig business pretty much
2: uh, is is the packing plant included then as well yes
0: packing plan is part of it obviously yes
2: Right on. Oh, wow. And one of the things that I found fascinating in an earlier presentation that you had made, Karine, was that the importance of people leaving a premise as well as people entering a premise. And the moment you said that, I said, well, of course, right? It just makes so much sense because when you enter the premise, you might be bringing in pathogens, but when you leave, you might be taking pathogens somewhere else. So all of a sudden I realized that in my simplistic approach, I was only considering half of the issue. So that really fascinated me. So if you don't mind, could you just talk about that just a little bit more, maybe give some examples of why that's so important in an overall biosecurity plan?
0: Absolutely, and and we call it biocontainment. And I would say you're not alone to overlook. And I was there too a couple of years ago. You talk a lot about how to not introduce pathogen to a farm. We shower in. We we sign in into the farm. We disinfect our supplies in. And we took so many control points of what how can we prevent disease from coming in. But then we forgot if ever it gets in, how do we prevent from spreading it to our neighbors, our own farms? And with PD, that's when, again, um, like I said, I'll talk a lot about PD because that's my experience with disease uh, in Manitoba, not so much with purse, but PD is a... It, you have to load fast <laughs> it spread very quickly very contagious disease so in that case biocontainment became very important because uh, when a farm break with pd it excretes a lot of virus and everything around the farm become contaminated so uh, anything you take out of the farm uh, your shoes you will be contaminated your we tested around the premise so the, the closed perimeters around feed bins everything is PD positive so then we start brainstorming and say how do we not bring this from the site to the next site with feed truck with people with livestock truck with all the traffic we have on site um, so then we start focusing more on biocontainment where it gets difficult for people and even now I'm in that battle right now because PD is super quiet cross our finger uh, it's to keep reminding people that we don't know a farm as a disease until it's too late um, so people think it's like a light switch on the wall, you get PD, you'll know for sure, and then you will start to put a measure in place to prevent spreading it. But it's too late already, because usually by the time, and PD is a quick one, uh, you should know within a few days, but it can be up to two weeks before you actually know your pigs have PD in a finishing site. Uh, PERS would be could take even longer. I've seen purse outbreak being missed for a month to six weeks before we actually trigger the, hey, something is going on my farm, let's do diagnostic. Something is not normal. Oh, it's purse. Uh, six weeks is a lot of time that you can contaminate your neighbors. And that's where to change that mindset of every day when you go into a farm. Yes, bioscurity, go in and protect that farm. But when you come out, just assume there's something there that you don't want to bring to the next farm. Right.
2: Right. Um, Karin, I, I, I... There might be other things that you want to speak about, and feel free to do so. But I just just have a couple of questions that have come up that I, I think might be of of interest to the listening audience. And one of them is, um, uh, can you just based on your experience, talk about what are some of the the vehicles by which the virus can be spread? So let's say I'm a I'm a, a, a farmer and I have three sites, I, I'm, you know, a relatively small producer, but I have three sites and one site has broken. What are the things that I really need to pay attention to that I will not transmit the PED from the one site, which is, uh, has, has broken to my other two sites, which have not, at least at this point, we think they haven't yet.
0: With, yeah. That's a, So there's anything that you move can carry disease. So it doesn't matter if it's a person, a vehicle, supplies, a tool. So the easiest way in the pyramid of mouse the ultimate is just don't bring it. Don't bring anything from barn to barn. So that's totally avoiding the potential risk. If you don't move anything from barn to barn, you're not moving the virus with it. Now, it's not realistic for everything we do in our swine world. You need to move feed, for example, you need to move, not feed, but a feed truck needs to go from farm to farm or uh, service providers need to do their job and need to go from farm to farm. So then it's the next step is decontamination, finding a way to make sure things are clean between sites. So when you ask about what type of vehicles, I would say anything, it doesn't matter. Now, people have to really make a list of and look at what's coming on and off. And that's where a geofence um, software, like we've Implemented So we kind of know what's going on on our site, but it's until it becomes so visual on a computer screen and you see exactly how many people and where and how often, it was shocking. Some of our sites say, how many visits did we add in one day? Like, wow, that was like an eye opener for everyone around the table. We know we have feed delivery. We know we have livestock. We know we have service provider, electrician maintenance, gas fitter, Mantoba, Hydro. Like there's so many people that need to come on our site with good reason. But to be able to actually visualize it uh, as a number was very useful. And the next step is where they go. So you described the example of a farmer with three farms. Okay, but maybe some of of his service providers, like I'm thinking his feed delivery, unless he has a feed the meal on site, is probably servicing a lot more than three sites. And and all of that geofencing becomes very useful to make sure we see those connections.
2: You know, the geofencing... I'm starting to understand it just a, a little bit and you're describing it really, really well. And it makes me think of the old management adage that you can't manage what you don't measure.
0: That's a good way of saying it. Yes.
2: Well, that's exactly what, as I understand it, what geofencing is doing is helping you to measure what that movement is.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, it makes it very easy to see it uh, on a map, on a list, uh, and, and to measure the implication, I guess.
2: Right. Um yeah, that that's, uh, I find that really, uh, really fascinating. And I, and by the way, you made the comment earlier, I, I'm i not worried if you just focus on PED, right? Uh, because I think that's of great interest in, in Canada. And so we don't need to worry about, about other uh, diseases. I have one very specific question, which comes up so often. It comes up at the university when students are coming to class and they're going to the barn to, to work in the barn. Cell phones. How much of a risk are cell phones?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there's something, uh, like I say, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are or what. If you're bringing something in a farm, they're a risk. So it doesn't matter if it's a cell phone or a notepad or a pen or. Um, so. If you are again, let's go with elimination. Do not bring it in if you don't need it, then it's no risk. If you absolutely need it, more and more we rely on technology. I know I do I personally do my vet visit with the iPad um, So we have a way of bringing our iPad into the farm. so we put them in a ziploc bag sealed and then we spray the ziploc once we're in. we wipe it with a disinfectant wipe on top of that. Uh, I mean we're paranoid, but if you absolutely need it, we do bring it. So I would apply for a cell phone. But our no- number one rule is if you can live without, don't bring it.
2: <laughs> we'll bring it. in. Yeah. Great. Okay. Very good. Okay. So um, let's continue on then. So this has been a really interesting, uh, was there more you wanted to talk about the uh, geofencing or did you want to move further along? No,
0: I have another good learning for us. So, when we were doing our contact tracing, uh, one other thing, that one of the reason I like it so much is um, we were using schedule. So the best tool we had was scheduling. So for livestock trailer, I had the schedule. For the washer, washing crew, it was a schedule. For the vaccination crew, it was a schedule. And you assume the schedule is precise. So that's what we had to work with and see where the, uh, the, the people or the, the equipment went before and then went after. What well, we discovered with the geofencing app, uh, so like I said, we we have people, we have the app on our phone. That's how it works. As soon as you're detected on the, the geofence, it, it pick up your visit. On equipment like livestock and feed truck, we have it integrated with the GPS system we already have. So simple. So that's how all our equipment is geofenced uh, or part of the, the geofencing system. When we start comparing the two, what well, we realized at first we were not trusting the geofence software. We would call in people and say, hey, the skid, the this <laughs> Geofence system is telling me you did that. And it was not a breach in Bioscretty. Everything was correct. They did the right thing. But then we were calling them on an outbreak report and say, hey, I've seen that you went from this farm to this farm, but it doesn't match your schedule. So obviously the software is wrong. And then they're like, no, no, actually what happened? So I had an injection crew um, uh, that was exactly, we were running a a report and and then we call in the the employee and we say, hey, what happened there? And then he explained, he said, well, the job was not finished. And with bio downtime, on time, I could go back. So I finished my job at farm A and went back to farm B to finish the job. But the schedule never catched that. So in that contact tracing report, we found out right away, we put the farm under bio-containment because now that was a real risk. He went from a farm that broke with PD back to a farm that did not have PD at a time. On the same day, he took a shower. Everything was fine. He parked far from the barn. Fortunately, the barn the second barn never broke with PD so it shows that good basket measures do not uh, do prevent disease, but in that case it put, it allow us to immediately biocontain the next farm to avoid if they would break to continue the cycle of breaking more farms. So a tool like a geofencing software like that like farm garden, it just make it more real and more accurate uh, while schedule, we all know schedule change all the time and people don't go and correct them after the fact. So we've been seeing a lot of that where the schedule were not as accurate as they should have been after the fact. And the geofence software just don't lie. It's it's actually what's happening in real time.
2: Right. Right. But that's right. You still you still need to have that validation component to that project because raising pigs is not completely predictable. Right? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Okay. So then, let's move along then to uh, further components of your biosecurity system that you have put in place or are putting in place in order to uh, get a get a real handle on PED.
0: Oh, there's so much. I guess any any that would listen to that say, "What can I do?" is really do a big scrub of your biosecurity. And for us, it's a constant work. It's not something we do and then we forget about it. We're constantly reviewing our bowel security, bowel containment, how we can do it better, make it stronger. And really one thing now that we want long-term is not be so reactive. For sure, when PD hits, we'll be reactive. But if our bowel security and bowel containment is strong at all time, even when there's no PD, it means even if PD comes to one of our farm, we don't have to change everything because it's strong enough to withhold one of our farm breaking with PD and not spreading it everywhere. And that's where the biocontainment, biocontainment was always great. We can always make it better for sure. But biocontainment was not as strong. And that's one thing we've been doing a lot. Um, So the geofencing, doing faster outbreak report uh, to be able to stop the next outbreak faster. That's one. Also CAS line, uh, control access zone. So what we do is permanent CAS. So in PD world, you, like I say, PD when a farm has it, the PD has shed so much, the virus, it gets blown away from the fans outside the farm. And we've tested enough to know that the perimeters around the farm is very positive. So what we want is to avoid vehicles from employees to be contaminated. And then they bring it back in town to their house and co-workers and and whoever they cohabitate with so what we do is we park really far from the barn yeah we take a little healthy walk every day uh back yeah. and forth nobody complained in summer but i can tell you we have a lot of complaints in winter it's not a nice walk at, in Manitoba 40 when the wind is picking up and sometimes it can be half a mile um just to walk oh, to the really land. it is far it, wow. and it's really to be safe like a quarter mile would be probably more um it, it all depends on the farm is designed, how close to the road and where we can park. But the rule is as far away as you can from the fans, still on the premise of the barn, if possible. And and that is one big change. We were implementing that usually in PD season before the, P, the PD or when we were getting hit with PD. And now we're going more to permanent cast. So we have actually now invested in some little shed for our, at least our big 6,000 sows. And then you park your vehicles, we put plug-in, because in winter, not plugging in vehicles in Mantua is not a good thing. So we've invested in a parking pad with plug-in, actually, far from the barn. There's a shed there where people are expected to take their street shoes off and wear boots from the farm, and even they can leave their jackets there, and then they walk. That's a first layer, and then you walk on the premise to the farm, and then you still shower in. So it's kind of a second layer. So that is definitely due to all the PD we've been having, and that knowledge, that it's too late by the time we know, and that yard is contaminated with
2: PED. Right. Yeah. 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 So, wow. So many components, uh, and and so much so important because PED, if I understand correctly, uh, it travels easily. The, the the virus travels easily, and uh, it doesn't take a very large dose to Correct. lead to illness. So that makes it particularly um contagious, I guess is that the right right
0: yeah. Word? Very contagious, yeah. very infectious, yeah.
2: Very yeah, both contagious and infectious. Wow. Okay. So again I'd I'd like to um uh, we've got some more time left and if there's other things you would like to share with us, that would be great, Corrine, But I'm I'm interested in particular in uh if you can give us examples of how you believe these procedures have allowed you to reduce the impact of PED on the high life system. So in, in other words, can, do you have any data or even, even anecdotes? I mean, you and I are both scientists, like we prefer data. Don't always, can't always get it, but just what do you think this has meant to your organization? Cause you've obviously invested a huge amount of time and effort, and I'm sure therefore expense And, uh to implement these procedures and i'm curious and i i know enough about your organization at least from years past you don't spend money unless you feel you're getting value for it you you feel it's an important topic you want to get better at it but you also want to validate that you are getting value so Help me to understand that a little and help our audience understand that a little bit better, Karine.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a frustrating journey, I would say, we're on. It's not a, always a rewarding. So it, our PV story started in 2017. And since then, we've implemented, like you say, we've invested so much money in what we think is bar, better BOSCRED, stronger BOSCRED. But then 19 came and we got hit as hard, uh, a little bit less hard for high life, but still too much um, to say we were happy with it. And then 2021, 2022 was just bad <laughs> for many reasons. And I, I think that one we could explain probably a combination of we were coming out uh, as an industry, as everybody, out of COVID. We were short-staffed. People were tired already to be told uh, about security around COVID stuff. Being short-staffed and farm did not help to implement proper measure uh, and then get rid of PD fast enough. So there was a lot of things. But... It feels like we did not make progress, but I would say what we've seen in our outbreak disease investigation, and that's why they're so important, is, is a shift. Um, what could bring PD in? So I know in 17, for example, we started building a lot of bake bay. Uh, so High Life, we have three uh, operating bake bay for our trailers. We saw trailers as a high risk. And back in the days, back before 2017, we used to do back and forth with slaughter plant. We would... Take market hogs, bring them to the plant, come back, pick up more market hogs, go back to the plant. And why would we wash? We're going to be empty in two weeks. And that was our rules. So about two weeks, you can do back and forth as much as you want. And, and the idea behind was, well, if we get hit with a disease, taking purse at a time, PD was not in the picture. It was like, well, we're going to dump that barn and we're good to go. PD is a different beast. If they break late finishing, we stop shipping for a month because those pigs are sh- they're shedding too much. So that right. told our vision so then we build big b wash B, increase our staff we started no more back and forth ever you don't break the rules everything has to be washed even for a market hogs and genetic was already very well taken care of but uh yeah. and then you're like cross your fingers and then a few other things we improve and then we say okay we should be good now and then 19 comes and it's something else so it's been a that's the problem with security is and it's frustrating for people because you can say well you know what I have 20 things I can do for bowel I'm going to pick five that I like and the rest I don't care. It doesn't work like that. The virus, bacteria comes in all of those different ways. What we have to do, and that's a good exercise we've done at High Life, is look at all the ways you can think of, of. We had a big brainstorming session actually for us on every single potential way disease could come in in our system and spread from barn to barn. And then we rank them in our Um, important, how likely they are to happen, and what would be their impact, I guess. So we weighted them, because there's so much. Like, you should have seen that board. (laughs) It was full. Uh, So we probably identified over 300 possible ways of disease entering in our, our system. But we ranked them. And then from there, we started to focus on where we thought it was higher chance of coming in or having a higher impact in our system. And then we just go at it one at a time. We tackled. So employee training was one we identified. So it's one thing to have good infrastructures like bake bay or wash bays or perfect showers into your barn that are nice. If people don't use those infrastructure properly, you're not better at it. And that was one of our points when we did that big exercise. We said, okay, uh, we have infrastructure. We invent, invested a lot in the last few years. But we felt that we lacked on training people, making sure they understand the importance, they're using it properly. SOP, so standard operating procedures that are too complicated to follow. That's one of those two. You need to go back and say, OK, we used to do that 10 years ago. Is that still applicable or can we simplify it so people actually do it the right way? Uh, Sometimes a simple way that is maybe not as perfect but is follow every time is better than a complicated way that might be more perfect, but no one can do it because it's too complicated. Um, so we go and try to get also a lot of feedback from everyone. So if you're a feed truck driver and we're asking you to do something, I want to hear back because I'm not a feed truck driver. I want to hear is that something actually is feasible um, and is there, you think you can sustain it over time? And if not, let's review what we can do better and asking people their input. Um, so that's, so when you ask, all of that, is there payback? No, it's been, well, oh, yes, there is. <laughs> but it's seen that it's been shifting as the years go. So I see bioscurity and biocontainment as a forever job. It's not something we'll ever be able to close the book on and say, you know what, this project is done, let's move on. No, there'll always be something we can do better. Um, and, and those disease really teach you that. it's You can never let your guard down, but you can always be better at it, more efficient, uh, and, and learn from it.
2: As I listen, in going back to my earlier question, um, but as I listen to your answers, well, in the learning process and making progress, and uh, we often hear in our industry, you know, progress is two steps forward and one step back because nothing is ever in a straight line, of course. But it, it brings to mind even when we're trying to solve simple problems in a barn, like tail biting. Tail biting is a multifactorial issue. You can fix one thing and not and tail biting will keep going. You fix something important, but you still have tail biting. You have to get all of the components of tail biting uh, looked after before that you will control tail biting. The difference here is you're dealing with a highly infectious and contagious pathogen, um, and and so there's so many, many, many more factors involved that you have to control. But it's the only way you can make progress, Kareem right, is to do it in a methodical, me, me, uh, 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 um, I haven't got the right word, um, uh, uh, but, you know, a, a proper steps so that you can learn as you go along and you get a little bit better every time.
0: Exactly. Always reassess. I really hope we don't need PD anymore to teach us that we're not good enough. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's <something> we, do. <laughs> we take it as a failure. Every time you have a PD outbreak, it's a failure. It hurt hard on on your pockets, for sure, on the moral, because of how devastating that disease is. But as a bouscreti, it's also a failure. It means we did something wrong. The disease was able to come in anyway. So it's, but that's a bit, again, a geofencing tool. It's it's tools like that, that we constantly use to audit ourselves. So we don't need the disease uh, up I would prefer to just be able to catch our weakness uh, just by running audit. We do on farm audit for bauxite. We do those online audit now to make sure that protocols are being followed for trucks or people, and, and being able to address the gaps we're finding. So. Our ultimate goal is to be able to run false outbreak. I prefer to stay in the false, <laughs> And we run those regularly, say, hey, this farm just broke. Let's practice how, we, how fast we can do the trace back and what we find for gaps. And I can tell you, we always find gaps. Nothing is perfect. Um, so really, it's just a continuous work. We find gaps, we improve them, and then we work on them. And the other thing in a big, big system like High Life, it's not just one farm. If a producer is hearing that and say, well, I mean, One farm, you can do it. You can achieve it. It won't be perfect. But now you have to multiply that by 150, 160 in my case. And you're looking and say, okay, this farm is actually really good. But what about the 140 farms? And are they all at the same status? And the goal is to bring everybody up. Because that's the other thing with biosecurity. It's not one producer job. It's not one company's job. It's everyone. Yes, someone can be better. And location is key. If you're alone on your island, you have a good chance. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> we can throw rocks at most of our neighbors, and our neighbors is often ourselves. Uh, but our farms are so close, so interlinked that we everybody has to have great bioscurity, and that's also the next challenge. It's not just having great bioscurity; it has to be great bioscurity as an industry.
2: Yes, yes, wow. Well, that's that's very good. And Krenn, I'd kind of like to wrap up here a little bit, um, and to start it, off, I'm going to ask sort of what do you think are your the most important take-home messages from our conversation today. And while you're thinking of that, I'd like to just share with you one of the, it, i consider considered very valuable take-home messages that I learned. And that is, is that biosecurity is a two-way process. It's not only worrying about what's going into the facility, but also worrying what is coming out from the facility. That was a new lesson for me today. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm admitting to the world that I was ignorant on that. And, uh, but I uh, wonder if you could share maybe, you know, one or two or three other what you think are important take home messages from our conversation today.
0: Yeah, definitely if people, the listener can remember that. Bioscurity is one thing, but biocontainment is as important. Everyone should look at their farm and think, what if I had the disease today? How would I spread it to my neighbors or my other farms? That would be key. Um, also, to not be discouraged. Like I told our story a little bit, in biocontainment, it's a continuous improvement job. Like it, it will never end. You can always find ways to be better uh, and you should. So that's very important. And then the third one would be, use the tools available there's amazing tools nowadays amazing technology like those geofencing that's only one we talk about today but there's great tool to help us improve on our bioscurity biocontainment journey
2: so right right absolutely
1: it's time for our famous three The Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners Nutrition Group offer the full range of nutritional product based on extensive research and developments and a solid team of experts all across Canada. Our objective is to provide cost-effective solutions, innovation, and support to producer from the entire Canadian swine industry.
2: Well, thank you so much, Corinne. Now, I have uh, our famous three uh, questions to end the, the podcast with. And the first question, of course, is do you have a, a swine related uh, publication or a, a health related uh, book or resource that you would recommend to our listeners as a resource or a book that they should read?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, more of a website person, uh, books. I mean, it's taking space and <laughs> we just moved into our, our new space. They made sure we had no room to store anything. Uh, but no, it's, uh, I really like two websites. I would say for Vets, it's the AASV website. I find it very useful to find anything. Um, and from pictures to uh, uh, just proceeding from different conferences or the pig site. I really like that one too. And there's lots of other very good uh, website uh, that are pig related. So.
2: Okay. Then, uh, and you are a, a a member of your generation when you say you're not a book person, you're a website person. So, and that's okay. We can modify the question. So now, my next question, of course, then is book or a website that you would recommend? It's not related to swine, but is you've just found um, helpful professionally, um, but isn't necessarily swine related.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's professionally, but I love reading books. So uh, although it's audio book most of the time, because I, I do a lot of driving. And uh, just recently, I was preparing for this podcast. And just recently, uh, we have a little group. We we have like a, a reading group. And uh, I mean, it has to be about pigs. We're all swine vet here. So <laughs> um, so it's Animal Farm. It's nothing recent, but Animal Farm from George Orwell. I don't know if the listener will have listened. I found it. I had never read it. Uh, and I found it quite interesting. And those three pigs take over that uh, little word. They're thinking they'll make it better, but uh, they don't really make it better. So something interesting, more philosophical if someone wants to hear it. It's very short, too. So
2: It's amazing that that man wrote that book. What's that, 40, 50 years ago or more?
0: 1945. I got the, I went on the website to find it today.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very actual, too. Yeah, very
0: interesting book.
2: You bet. And then the final question, which I, I find fascinating, and different people have different perspectives. But from your point of view, Corinne, what is it that separates the the, the people that you interact with in the industry, you work with in the industry, the people who are really, you know, um, very successful at what they do, uh, compared to, um, you know, sort of the average? Uh, what what sets those successful people apart from others?
0: Mm-hmm. Probably a few things, but I'm thinking being passionate about what you do is one thing. People that love what they do, it leads to success, I think. Uh, and, and knowing the right people, knowing not being shy of asking questions to and, and surrounding ourselves of passionate people probably makes you a better person.
2: Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, passionate, uh, it's contagious, right? And if you're and as I listen to you today, uh, you're obviously passionate about what you do, Green, and uh, and I also know you've got um, very very uh, significant responsibilities there at High Life. So I particularly thank you for taking time to join us uh, and share your knowledge and perspective and your experiences with our audience today. So Green, thank you so very much. It's been a real pleasure listening to you.
0: Well, it was my pleasure too. Thank you.